Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, it is Trash Cinema. This episode will be discussing Grindhouse, the double feature with Death Proof and, uh, I forgot all of a sudden, <laughs> Planet Terror. Planet Terror, <laughs> That's dude. Terror. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, so, this has kind of been on our peripheral for a while now. We talked about this like a year ago, doing this movie, and for some reason just held off. And I think part of it is because we did too many horror movies, and we needed a break to do something different. Mm-hmm. Though we did Tom Arnold last time, and, uh, <laughs> well, that was a little weird. It, it's was, really hard to do comedies. It really is. Uh, that was a bit of a disaster, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I think comedy is very subjective. What one person thinks is funny. But action movies and uh, sci-fi horror, generally everybody seems to be kind of on the same page with that. What what they find interesting or scary or something like that. Generally, I mean, there are some people that are a little behind the time. I feel like Blade Runner 2049 is one that's going to kind of become more popular uh, in the future. Well, just like the original, yeah. That was a bomb when it first came out. Right, yeah, exactly. No, can we talk about what a bomb really is? In my mind, it's something that is hated by critics, audiences, and does terrible at the box office. I just don't buy that technically in the books, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, is a bomb. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it, it. I mean, well, maybe at the time I really don't know what the numbers are are on that. It broke. Um, it made it made know. as much as it cost. Okay, well then that's fine. That's it, it breaks even. That's it's not you know it's not a hit, but it's not bad. It's not bomb. No, I mean I know critics really despise how gross it was, but it's something that people warmed up to. I'm talking about something that was just flat out. Let's talk like. Uh, you know, like Cutthroat Island, a movie that cost $100 million, made 11 and no one liked it. Not, I don't even think the people involved making it liked it. <laughs> I was thinking Pluto Nash. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, it's one where it just sat on the shelf forever. Those are legitimate bombs. Yeah. I don't particularly find that Grindhouse was a bomb because critics loved it. And the audience who did see it enjoyed it. I just think a lot of people were confused on the concept. And I never thought it was really anything that was meant to be mainstream spending 50 million dollars is a mind-boggling concept though on this i mean you're also asking people to stay in the theaters for like three and a half hours and for some people that's just too much <laughs> and we went solace in the theater and people walked out after planet terror and i don't know right, why exactly. i am a very very quiet person when it comes to talking to people that i don't know and i just go hey it's not over yet get back in here and people still just never came back <laughs> Yeah, maybe one was enough. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's a weird concept that hasn't really. Well, it's not a weird concept. I mean, this has been done many times and still practiced today. It's just for like mainstream theaters. It's not really done. Right. I mean, you got to go to places like the Hollywood Theater here in Oregon. Um, does stuff like that all the time, but it, it's not really a mainstream theater. I yeah, think. or or grow up with the drive-in. I mean, that's a big deal because we went to double and triple features all the time at the drive-in. And I and those don't really exist anymore. So yeah, well, I mean, it's, oddly enough, we have one not too far away. I think in um, Monmouth or something like that. I can't. I know there's one around here somewhere, but yeah, it is. Yeah. It's there, big... There's a few, but I mean, it's not. It's not like it, how it was. Oh no! I mean, when I well, I grew up in Indiana and I lived in Fort Wayne, and we had I want to say three drive-ins. One was the Dirty Movie Drive-in, and then the other two were like, okay, this one had a studio kind of like contracts so when movies would get older it would go there and the other one was like an independent one so whatever small companies like new world and afco embassy stuff like that they would get their movies 
So we saw just a whole weird hodgepodge of movies back then. We never experienced the grindhouse, though. Um, didn't really have that. All of a sudden, my throat's really dry. <clears throat> ah, professional. Yeah, um, that, and that that was the the point of grindhouse is to kind of bring back the uh, that that feeling again to the theaters and. For a lot of people, it works. And yeah. For a lot of people, it didn't. Well, there's a lot of movies that uh, ape this afterwards. Mostly, you know, it'd be direct-to-video or video-on-demand kind of stuff. Nothing really theatrical, but you could still see that wild, crazy spirit for like, what, what, what has it been, uh, 12 years since Grindhouse came out? It's still going strong. You mm-hmm. see it all the time, these homages, and they use digital filters to make it look like it was shot in 1982 and stuff like that. Yeah, Chillerama is another one. Um, that is like a horror comedy horror anthology grindhouse kind of thing uh, that takes place in a uh, drive-in theater. So there's movies like that that yeah. uh, kind of take this idea and just run with it. Well, and all the specialty labels that you see. I mean, Shout Factory, of course, knocking down the doors on this kind of thing. Where yes, there are some hits in Shout Factory's catalog, but there's also a lot of like lost and forgotten, and they clean them up and they give them a lot of special features, but. And those are the big boys. We're talking, you know, other guys like Vinegar Syndrome and Synapse and stuff like that. They're going around and finding all these grindhouse films. Blue Underground is like the king of discovering old Italian movies, which everybody knows I'm a sucker for. Shitty exploitation Italian yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah, and then even beyond that, there is sort of a kind of this reemergence of love of of old or just of like bad movies in general. Like a, the, there's a pseudo documentary of both The Room and My Name is Dolomite of these types of movies so there is there is still kind of this desire for this style of filmmaking yeah and you know robert rodriguez and tarantino grew up with grindhouses and drive-ins this is this mm. something that was you know i mean what he grew up in la tarantino and he went to triple features all the time and you know in texas was notorious for having crazy drive-in triple features of exploitation films so it's something that they knew mm. very well and i think what triggered a lot for especially your generation is you never experienced it i mean yeah even, no i've never been to a drive-in yeah i mean even just like uh going to the video store and grabbing these junky vhs copies you know oh well i've never heard of this but it has an amazing gross cover uh that's almost lost in your generation too because by the time you were old enough it was netflix yeah i mean like i used to do that when i was younger go to the video store but i mean i was kind of, i was kind of a weird kid because i was like 11 and I would have my own like blockbuster card and I would go look at for movies. Oh wow. I would find shit like uh, like Jack Frost. <laughs> uh the the horror one and uh try to get that and then they're like no you need your parents here. So I'm like shit. Uh, my favorite thing was going to Kohl's. Now back in the day Kohl's was just more than clothes. Over the decades they've erased a lot of the uh non-clothing items, but there was a two-story Kohl's in Fort Wayne and upstairs was all the toys, hardware, and they had a whole video section. And I, while my parents shopped with my sister, I would wander up there into the video place and just look at Sleepaway Camp and the Friday the 13th movies and stuff like that where it was just horror movies um, that I was never allowed to watch. And I would look at the back cover just to see the description and the gore pictures they would post. And that was a huge thing for me. I wasn't able to rent horror movies until I was in high school. So... I can see why everybody is now like, let's go discover all these lost, forgotten uh, horror and, and rip-off movies, sci-fi flicks from that decade. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's, it, it feels new to, uh, to people like me, so it kind of has this appeal of being 
unique, even though it's totally not. Yeah. Uh, Planet Terror is set up to be what he described as, what if John Carpenter made a movie between uh, Escape from New York and The Thing? And for some reason, it, it got lost. So he makes it look like it's straight out of, like, uh, I guess the King Company at that time was Avco Embassy, you know, uh, making it a cross-sci-fi horror action movie uh, with a synth score and looked like it was a damaged print. And I just, when I was watching, I was like, this is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, the uh, the uh, degradation of or the degradation or deterioration that's it of of the film it was very it was also very purposeful. You yeah. know, as things are getting more intense, the screen would shrink or it would start to get more choppy. Um, he would use that. He would uh, make really drastic cuts. You're, you're missing a reel. When, so, so what? Oh, I said, sorry, I had to shut the door. <laughs> um, okay. it was, there was a chunk where it was a missing a reel where they cut it out to like just 20 minutes and all of a sudden, oh, well, we jumped this huge plot point. Yeah, uh, that, that was great. Uh, that was used for comedic effect, which was uh, hilarious and it was done very well. But yeah, also things are like if people make a, a, a very fast movement, like slam, like when he's in the car saying like, you know, if you see a deer, you just hit them uh-huh. to knock them away from you. When he when he slams his fist, it makes like this weird cut on on the on the uh, film, uh, stuff like that. So it was it was really, really well done. I, I, I enjoyed Planet Terror way more than Death Proof. I just uh, think see, he... I, I disagree. We'll get to that. Yeah, okay. The uh, yes, it is very self-indulgent. It is action-packed to the 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 rafters. There's not a hell of a lot of plot. It's just go 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 and gore 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 gore. And I just and I have a short attention span. And yes, I, there's a few moments where I feel like I was getting a little nauseous. <laughs> I can stand a lot of gore. <laughs> But I just I, I love the cast. I love the pace, the the crazy special effects. None of it makes a lick of fucking sense. It's ridiculous. And I think Rose McGowan. I know everybody was crazy for her in this movie. I thought she was terrible. I thought she was one of the worst things of, of this segment. Yeah, she's she's not great. Uh, I would just say that I, I, the the writing is really. I mean, it's intentionally bad. Yeah. So they, well, let's not really pretend that Robert Rodriguez it. is a great writer, though. His movies have always been. It mostly just kind of feels like somebody trying to write a Tarantino movie when I'm watching this, and it kind of makes me cringe. Uh, like, there are just some really bad deliveries and really bad writing. It's intentional, so I don't know how yeah. much of it is just really on him or how much of it is him trying to capture this sort of tone. Um, yeah, but it's, it's hard because... a lot of the time, I just kind of cringe at it. Well, here's the difference between Death Proof and Planet Terror is I don't feel like the cast is uh, united in how they're going to perform in Planet Terror. They are all over the map. There's some that are so ridiculous. Marley Shelton, and I love her, but she's playing high camp. She's playing this intentional where she's jutting her chest out and looking around. She's playing it at a different level than everybody else is. And I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, because there's, uh, oh man, I cannot remember his name. Uh, Josh Rowland is in it. And he's more or less being pretty serious about the subject matter. Yeah. And he he he's like actually acting, whereas everyone else is kind of you know playing a silly character uh, from a different movie. But he and he's kind of make trying to make it really serious, and, and it works for that one scene uh, when he's like about to inject his wife with the with her. Um, uh, uh, the numbing solution like, like anesthesia yeah yeah uh and that scene is actually like probably the most terrifying of anything in this movie mm-hmm. 
And that had nothing to do with the monsters because he was, well, I mean, he's still a monster, but, you know, metaphorically. Right, exactly. The, um, I really enjoyed Jeff Fahey and Michael Bean as these brothers who are always <laughs> fighting over the recipe for this barbecue sauce. Those two I really enjoyed. And when they both died together, I was actually kind of sad. It was a little sweet. Yeah, that, that was actually, I like those guys. They're, they're great. Yeah, we have Michael Parks as the dad who, I, I have this weird feeling that the character that Michael Parks plays in uh, Planet Terror is the same exact character he played from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> I think it legitimately is, and from Kill Bill. I think that it's all the same character. Yeah, I mean, you could also argue it's the same character in Death Proof, because he plays another sheriff, and he's only in it for like, like five minutes at most. But I was like, hmm. No, no, no. That, yeah, that's, that's intentional. I okay, mean, even okay. The, uh, I missed that. The, the, actress, the, the actress who plays the doctor or the nurse uh, is in Death Proof as well, taking care of... Um, the stunt driver. Okay. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah a, you're right, you're right. Shared, yeah, it's a shared universe movie, but Death Proof comes first, but they're played backwards for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way they they jump around in time. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. You really have to, like, let go of logic and reasoning and just enjoy the silly ride, technically. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a... There, I mean, she puts a, a gun on her leg and yeah. somehow is able to shoot. So, I mean, like, it's ridiculous, but it, that's the point, yeah. The, um... Uh, uh, Death Proof is, uh, uh, bar none, more uh, technologically sound. It doesn't seem like a bunch mm. of guys just fucking around. I mean, Planet Terror feels like self-indulgent 13-year-old kind of teenage audience, where Death Proof is more mature. Mm. The only problem I had, uh, I have ADD, so the long sequences <laughs> of talking and talking and talking, but then... What really bothers me is during the final stunt sequence is they have nothing to say. They're just repeating themselves over and over, and it just felt like it was never going to end. I didn't even care about the stunts anymore. I was just like, shut the fuck up and just end this. Oh, uh, really? Okay. I'm going to ride yeah, your so ass, it, up your it, ass. And it's like, all right, I got it. Yeah, see, that's the, that's the, I would have thought that the real problem would have come in as most people have an issue with is that death proof is kind of two different movies stapled mm-hmm. together whereas like the first half is just more of like you know it's just characters it's just characters being characters and a, a gruesome death scene and then it goes into a completely new territory where it's just like stunts it's basically like mad max yeah well know, i, I do en- half, that's weird i do enjoy the fact that he pulled basically a psycho on us we think that we're going to spend the entire movie with this group of girls and then he pulls the rug out from under us like halfway through the movie and then all of a sudden you're focusing on a whole new group of girls and i was like well that that was a surprise and then rewinding the deaths that was gruesome and i don't oh, think i've ever yeah. seen anything like that yeah the amount of detail that was put into that sequence is amazing i mean mm-hmm. also just the stunt driving of having the car flip and land like right in front of the camera yeah was incredible and done practically it was, it was incredible. Now, do you find the girls interesting in any of the segments? Uh, it, I actually do. That's the weird thing, and not a lot of people do. I actually was very engaged with everyone's story because everyone had kind of a side story going on all at once, and I, I was, oh yeah, I was interested in seeing what was happening. Yeah, I enjoyed the second group better than the first group. I, I just wasn't yeah, locking definitely. in on their personalities and why I should care about them. 
And it's not sexist when I say this, but it doesn't get interesting until Stuntman Mike comes into it and his balancing out with the rest of them, especially with him and Rose McGowan, describing who he is and all these shows that he was on and nobody knows who he, you know, what what he's talking about. The the irrelevant career that he now has is interesting. Well, it's not... I mean, it's not sexist to say that because it's fucking Kurt Russell. I mean, yeah. he just commands the screen wherever he is. I almost, I like to pretend that his character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> eventually became Stuntman Mike. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, they, it, there's even that whole thing about him, about Brad Pitt throwing the guy into his car, but yeah. No, I, I just watched but, that. I absolutely enjoyed This brought me back to Tarantino because I got to tell you, um, I kind of lost interest a little bit in Tarantino after Death Proof. Um, Inglorious Bastards is fine, but it didn't give me what I wanted to until I revisited it uh, three years ago, and then I, I'm truly in love with Inglorious Bastards now. I did. Uh, I was okay with Django until the last ten minutes, and I could not stand Hateful Eight. Wow, that's so weird. Hateful Eight's one of my favorites. Yeah, well, it's, it's awesome. well, here's the thing: is everybody's looking for something different in a movie. So, yes, I know people who love Hateful yeah, Eight. I just couldn't get into it. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing: about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, I actually hate it. Like, it's not even that I think it's a like a bad Tarantino movie. I think just in general, it's just a bad movie. Now, are you mad? Because I've heard this from a couple other people. Are you <laughs> mad that he rewrote history? No, I mean he did that with Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that was great. I I wonder uh, if he is dealing with childhood damage. He doesn't talk about his childhood a whole lot. He talks about what he was interested in as a child, but he doesn't seem to talk about his childhood. And I wonder if he has a lot of emotional damage. And not only oh, is he, he talked about it with he, uh, on the Howard Stern show, actually, with him and his father. Okay, I, I need to see that then because I'm curious about him because he does dive into a lot of nostalgia. He doesn't really make movies that are that don't reflect on something from his past. But he's also yeah. done it twice now where he's literally rewriting history. And I wonder if he's dealing with some sort of trauma. I mean, he was a kid when the whole Manson thing happened. So, um, you know, it was probably sitting in his subconscious for decades and he needed to deal with it. And everybody hates the Well, not everybody hates the Nazis, apparently, from what I'm learning about this new administration. <laughs> but, you know, Hitler is traumatic. And I think a lot of people would love to go back in time and rewrite history and kill him before he slaughtered all these people. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that is an interesting idea. I didn't think about that. But maybe we'll have to revisit it another time. Maybe we can do just do a special about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I yeah. can just hash out my problems. <laughs> the, but, 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 but I think that's another thing about Death Proof I don't care for is I don't think he's really dealing with anything, either socially or personal. It just seems to be like, well, mm-hmm. this is something I like. I love these car racing movies from the 70s. I'm just going to make another one like it. The only, the only pinpoint you can see is... Uh, how uh, fragile some of these egotistical, sinister, you know, talk a big game kind of guys are. When, you know, he's really yeah. charming, he weasels his way into these girls' lives, and he, you know, convinces that girl to take a ride home with him, and he takes his pain out, or whatever the fuck is wrong with him, out on women. And when they shoot him and he goes hysterical, the first time I saw that, oh, I was, that was like, great. what the fuck kind of choice is this to make? But this time, I actually got it. And I was like, okay, so he was just a shell filled with weakness, and they cracked through that shell. Right, yeah. Yeah, he was just basically put himself in a position where he's invincible. I mean, you know, he's got the death-proof car where he controls life and death, and then 
you know, putting these uh, women on this chase for their lives where he's perfectly safe in his car, uh, but they're obviously not, and then turning the tables on him like that and, and kind of breaking through and making him weak, it was, it's too much for him. Yeah. The, um, the end when they just basically smash his face in, and I didn't, I thought the movie was just over with that first hit. And then it gives you a few credits and it goes right back to it and they just smash and smash and, and stomp smash. his face. No, that was very cathartic. Jesus. Yeah, that was brutal. The, um, I would say I like it better now than I did then. I mean, 12 years, you kind of change yeah. your attitudes with movies. I mean, I, I just look at the movies I liked 20, 25 years ago. And I just remember thinking I just need action, action, action. I don't want plot. I don't want, you know, I just want just the bare minimum to get me to the cool stuff. I watched a lot of direct-to-video fucking bullshit back then with just, just <laughs> oh, hey, it's another movie set in a, a underground fighting ring, and we're all going to fight to the death, and it's Don the Dragon Wilson and uh, Tybo guy. What's that Tybo guy? A Barry, uh, Billy Blanks, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah, I'd watch Billy that. Blanks, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch that kind of garbage all the time, and there's no way I could deal with that now. And so that's why I feel I flipped a little bit on uh, Grindhouse this time, where I appreciated... The second half a little more, and didn't like everything in the first one that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like as much as I was saying, like I love Death Proof over Planet Terror. Planet Terror is it's still awesome. Like yeah. it doesn't even matter that it's a little cringy from time to time. It's still <laughs> fantastic. And and I remember them talking that they were planning on launching this, and then after that they were going to do basically like the way they did with Tales from the Crypt. Just do like anthologies, like the Grindhouse presents. And even though mm-hmm. it cost what fifty million, it only made twenty four in America. I think it made the same overseas. Where oddly enough, they cut them into two different movies. They didn't do it as a double and feature. Actually, and actually, when uh, they released these movies on DVD, they actually made a huge amount of money. Yeah, and I think they were separated at first, and then they brought them together. I think I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I do yeah, remember buying. I, I bought them with. Good. Because I think I bought it when it first came out, and it was two separate movies. Then, oh, okay. Instead of just like the yeah, and they didn't have like the extra right. Um, the trailers weren't uh, trailers. all there, right? Like it didn't have it, yeah, it didn't have it had it, sorry, it didn't have any of that. Yeah, I okay. So yeah, then then I believe it was Alliance out of Canada that said screw that shit. We're putting it all together in a big event, and then yeah, I'm not 100 percent certain they've actually released it as a double feature yet in America. We're just getting the Canadian import. It's quite possible. I don't... Yeah, I'm not sure. That's the same thing with the Kill Bill. Like, I waited forever for the whole bloody affair. They were going to put together that and, like, some extra sequences that they they didn't uh, put on the disc. And I think it just recently came out. And I was like, oh, do damn you know it. If that, do you know if that version has the black and white uh, segment in the first chapter? I, I actually don't uh, know. But I, I'm hoping they added the sequence. There's a fight sequence in Kill Bill with uh, Michael Jai White and David Carradine in the streets of Hong Kong. And it's a yes, five-minute sequence. It's so amazing, but it was only a, an extra feature on the original disc. Yeah, I think the Japanese version of these movies, A, doesn't have the black and white in the fight scene with the crazy 88s. It's just pure color. Oh, right, because they had to cut it because of X rating, right? It was too bloody. Okay, okay. Um, And I think they did add that scene because I do actually remember watching the movie. I I watched Kill Bill, like both movies on TV, strangely enough, like late night showing. And uh they did have that scene with with David Carradine and his name, Julia White. Michael uh, Jai White. And Jaleel White was Urkel. Jaleel White is Urkel. Oh my god, can you imagine? Holy fuck. Oh, did I do that as he's hacking people yeah, in half? 
<laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so yeah, I was just hoping that at least it was going to spawn off some direct-to-video sequels like it did with Dust Till Dawn. But it didn't happen. I was like, oh, you could knock off some Grindhouse productions for a couple million dollars, do like four or five of those. And and we did get spinoffs, but it's such a weird road because they're all from different companies. Yeah, that was... And it just didn't have the same appeal without the without the fanfare. It was just kind of just the movies were just kind of dropped into the theaters without yeah. any, but yeah, without any big production. So that is the end of this episode. Our continuation of this will be in the second episode, where we do talk about the spinoffs, the trailers, and the failed oh, continuation of one of them that I truly enjoyed. So that is it for this episode. Check us out on Facebook under Video Night. And Kersey, thank you for this episode. Yeah, thank you.